0: Hey, it's Jared Johnson from Shift Forward Health, and here's what's going to go down today. We have the flavor of the week about how Mark Cuban appears to have influenced CVS's drug pricing model. Well, we'll come next for the billionaire who's ripped up every playbook along the way, and can he continue to have an influence on making an aspect of healthcare more transparent and affordable? I'll talk about that. Then we have the first of our 2024 Predictions series, where we're inviting pairs of all-star guests to share their predictions for consumer transformation in the coming year and beyond. This week, we welcome healthcare executive and best-selling author Dr. Zev Neuwirth and and Summers-Hogg, Director of Healthcare at the Clayton Christensen Institute. You'll want to hold on tight because together they give us a well-informed view of how both traditional providers and disruptors are addressing the calls to become more consumer-centric, as well as what it all means for the industry and those whom we're serving. It's time to dive right in. Are you ready? Let's go. Flavor of the Week. Is a shark staying in the healthcare waters after all? And is it time to acknowledge that we could be watching a consumer health revolution happening right before our eyes? We're talking about Mark Cuban and his Cost Plus drug company, which debuted in January 2022 with a simple formula for drug pricing, a fixed markup of 15%, a $3 pharmacy fee, and a $5 shipping fee. It was revolutionary at the time, and now we're starting to see the next level of impact. CVS, the largest retail pharmacy in the country, just announced a departure from the opaque pricing models of the past to a formula that includes the cost of the drug plus a set markup and a fee to cover operations sound familiar Sound like a coincidence? It's the latest domino to fall, and it's a big one. The chain reaction is underway. In August, Blue Shield of California ended their 15-year relationship with CVS and replaced it with Amazon and who else? Mark Cuban's Cost Plus Drug Company. This is the case of a billionaire who's ripped up every playbook along the way and chosen to devote some of his vast resources to making an aspect of healthcare more transparent and affordable, which are two things that we haven't had historically with drug pricing. Pharmacy benefit managers, or PBMs, have long negotiated drug prices without any transparency Meanwhile, the average cost of prescription medications in the U.S. is $1,200 per person per year. That's significant. And that's the influence that Cuban has had while splitting his time among his many ventures. But suppose that changes. In fact, let's dream a little bit about what's possible here. And hey, this is a predictions episode anyway, right? So why not talk about the fact that Cuban is selling his majority stake in the Dallas Mavericks, the NBA team that he's owned since 2000, and let's also mention that he has said he's leaving Shark Tank after the next season. In the meantime, he's frequently quoted saying that if he does the drug company right, it'll be the most important thing he's ever done. So I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that maybe he tends to devote more of his time to disrupt the cost of prescription drugs and that could become the ultimate maverick move the pinnacle of the king shark's career and legacy when cost Plus drug first came on the market nearly two years ago i said then that every new disruptive footstep brings us closer to consumer first care and i for one applaud this step what makes healthcare great helping consumers live healthier lives physically and financially. It's going to take a design-oriented, consumer-centered approach and a crazy sense of urgency to bypass all of the blocks and traps of the existing hospital-centric model. But we're going to get there. We're not going back. We shouldn't have to. We have to take matters into our own hands for the good of consumers. It's time for people like Mark Cuban, as well as people like you and me, to take matters into our own hands and be willing to challenge the status quo in meaningful ways. That's another way that we'll build the healthcare of tomorrow. And that's the flavor of the Week. listeners let's get into the flow today we kick off our prediction series to wrap up the year i'm very excited to hear let me welcome our two guests and we're going to get into things first we have dr zev newworth healthcare executive best-selling author and host of the creating a new healthcare podcast zev welcome to the healthcare app oh thanks for having me jared we're also pleased to welcome ann summers hogg director of healthcare at the clayton christensen institute and host of the life-centered healthcare podcast here on the shift forward health channel Ann Summers, welcome to the Healthcare Wrap.
1: Thanks for having me, Jared. Happy to be here.
0: You know, I have to say I was inspired by the, the two episodes that two of you recently recorded together for the Life-Centered Healthcare Podcast just a few weeks ago. They're, they were not only inspiring, they were so well-informed. I learned a ton just listening, but both, both episodes seem to center on what you've seen in the industry. And so today we're kind of taking that and just we want to have a little bit of fun. We want to offer some predictions. The goal here isn't to keep a score sheet and see who's right in a few months or, you know, 12 months from now. It's really just to provide some some thinking about if some trends continue or if they don't, what does that mean? We're going to focus today on consumer transformation. So... We just want to hear what you're seeing and where you'd like to see the industry go. I feel like that's a, a fair way to inform our perspectives. What do we hope to see? Because that does drive a lot of, of things that we keep our eye on for sure. So I, I want to give you both as much time as possible. Normally we'd give you a chance for a bit of an extended bio, but not only do I feel like everyone knows, the majority of people know who the both of you are, but I want to give you the most as much time as possible. So what we want to do is divide this into predictions from certain viewpoints or certain stakeholder groups and talk about what you think we might see. So for instance, we'll start with traditional providers and what we expect or hope or think we might see regarding consumer transformation with traditional providers. And Ann Summers, I'll give you the floor first here. Can you start us off? What trends do you think we might see here with traditional providers?
1: Great question. I think the first thing I think is something that Zev and I spoke about in our second podcast together recently, which was around the fact that now healthcare is playing a game of water polo and no longer are people staying in swim lanes. So what we may have thought of as traditional providers may continue to look different than they have in the past. And what I think we'll see more of is more partnerships. So as traditional providers have been financially struggling since COVID and for the vast majority continue to do so due to labor shortages, increased labor costs, declining reimbursement, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. All the things listeners know and hear frequently. I think we'll see more partnerships both in the traditional sense as well as with new types of players. So Zev and I talked about the role that VC is playing in partnering with traditional providers. I think that we will continue to see that. I think we also may see more cross-market mergers like with Atrium Health and Advocate Aurora Health to combine and create Advocate Health. But we may not keep seeing that. We've seen a few attempts at that get called off recently, like the recent Unity Point and Presbyterian one. But broadly, I think with what we think of in the industry as traditional providers, we will see more partnerships.
2: Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think this year, I think the, the pressures on hospital systems, if, if that's what we're talking about in terms of traditional providers, I think the, the workforce crisis is only going to get worse over the next couple of years. I mean, it's predicted that over a quarter of the nursing workforce is going to retire over the next three years and physicians are retiring and there's also predictions about the number of physicians that will be leaving the workforce and and then in terms of you know the burnout amongst not just doctors and nurses and, and other providers but also the entire workforce, I think it's probably understated and underrecognized and so in order to address that I think we're going to see a lot of focus in the hospital systems on efficiencies still continuing to cut costs as much as they can. I think the other issue is uni- unionization is going to be another Thing that's going to continue. We've seen a lot of that. You know, KP was in the news recently with that. I think systems are going to do some innovative things. They're going to be forced to, for instance, the whole AI enablement. You know, with the workforce leaving and you know temporary nurses and, and what on. Well, you're gonna you're gonna need to have that that artificial intelligence really focused on workflows and operations in the near future, not so much on assisting physicians and doing diagnostics, but much much. More in the operational workflow part. I agree with Ann Summers. You're going to see consolidations continue in hospital systems. You're going to see these unique partnerships as they reach out for capital from VC firms and support. I think that's going to continue this year. I think you're going to see direct to employer from hospital systems as they're looking for different channels to really expand their market base.
0: Outstanding. I, I hear a theme here, which is partnering and kind of changing the shape of what. We would consider a traditional provider or hospital and health system to look like, to act like, and to behave in these areas. And that kind of leads me to this next type of group, which is disruptors and new entrants. We can define this however we want. You know, a couple of groups I'd, I would typically include under that would be payviders, so the United slash Optums of the world, for instance, as well as big retail and, and digital health players who are here who, yeah, consumer brands that, as we all know, you know, are not traditional providers at at any rate. These these guys get all the headlines, it feels like. So we talk about them a lot, but I'd love to hear just what you think we might see from disruptors and new entrants, anyone in these lines who is not a traditional provider organization. We'll flip it and start with you, Zev, on this one.
2: I think the retailers, I, I, you know, again, we're having a little fun here, so I'm going to, I'm going to go out a little bit and, and I don't I don't really like making predictions, but this is all in fun. I think this may be the decade of the retailers. I think that you're going to see, look, CVS, their CEO was just in a conference, and she was incredibly bullish. I mean, there's no holes barred here. Uh, you know, as Ann Summers was saying, this is no longer, no one's in any swim lanes. This is water polo. There is one goal, one ball, and we're all in the pool, the same pool, and she is going after it. I mean, they just made some multi, multi-billion dollar investments, whether it's Signify Health to get into the home or uh, Oak Street Health to do Medicare Advantage and the elderly, they are serious about taking over the entire continuum of healthcare you you know Walmart there we'll see what happens with ChenMed but you know, I just can't imagine what senior care is going to look like when Walmart, who literally sees more customers in a week than you know hospital systems see in a year, when they start to partner with ChenMed and launch senior care in every one of their centers, I think you're going to see this aggressive move into Medicare Advantage. It, it already is aggressive, and I think they're going to continue as hospitals still seem to be pretty tentative about value-based care and Medicare Advantage. The retailers and the pay providers like Humana, I mean, Humana's You know, given up its commercial insurance business to focus on Medicare Advantage. I just think they are going to go gangbusters on this this coming year. They're all talking about how they're going to expand their clinics, expand MA. And I think they're going to focus on that. I think they're going to just become, you know, we talk about these vertically integrated delivery networks. Well, here they are. This is it. It really is incredible
0: to think what could be possible. I mean, a year ago, were we talking about Ryzent Health, you know, like like just even to think what any of this looks like, and like you said, the these investments that you can't ignore these billions of dollars going in here.
1: I like Zev's comment around the decade of the retailer, I do wonder specifically on the Walmart ChenMed one, if that actually goes through how it'll be executed. Because with M&A, the devil's in the integration details. And how that actually plays out depends on whether or not the organization truly understands the value of the asset they're acquiring. So Zev, I love your vision of the future. I hope that if Walmart does acquire ChenMed, that what becomes reality is what you said, and that value is truly created instead of destroyed. But in terms of your question, Jared, what do we expect to see from the disruptors and new entrants? With my Christensen Institute hat on, I first just have to say that disruptive innovation is a frequently misused and misapplied concept. And disruptors and disruptive innovations aren't breakthrough technologies that make good products better. They are simplifying innovations that transform a market by increasing accessibility and affordability. So through that lens, I think disruptors will continue to focus on going after non-consumption in the market. In finding ways to make healthcare more accessible and affordable. And I think we'll especially see this in women's health services like doulas, fertility care, other aspects of women's health that have not yet been optimized for how women are different than men. And I think we'll also see some disruptive opportunity in wellness because wellness is really having a moment right now and it's continuing to grow as Gen Z opts into a life of sobriety. And this has ripple effects for health and wellness products and services and really provides an opening in the market for new entrants and potential disruptors to capture this non-consumption in perhaps more the broad health and wellness industry as opposed to just what we think of as traditional healthcare. But you know, while we're being hopeful. I hope ultimately that's what we actually think of in terms of healthcare, because it should be more about the health than the care. In terms of new entrants, I think they'll really be focused on proving outcomes on sustainable cash flow and a path to profitability if they want funding, because the the pre-COVID and even during COVID cash flow that was occurring for early stage startups has certainly ended and investors are looking for sustainable business models they can invest in. And then with those who are seeking to disrupt the the true traditional health system model like Hatco. Uh, will they acquire a health system? Will they not? I don't know. We'll have to wait and see.
0: When the two of you were discussing the concept of water polo versus swim lanes, that concept visual—it it visualizes, in my mind, what really is happening here. And to that point, when we talk about health plans... When we talk about payers, we talk about anyone on the insurance side of the ledger here, that's not a cut-and-dry identity either of what that looks like anymore either. So I'd love to hear what you expect to see from health plans as well. Zev, let's start with you on this one. How do health plans figure in? Because I don't always hear them factored in because, like we said, a lot of these other players get a lot of the headlines, but... I can't imagine health plans are going to sit there and stay looking the same a year from now either.
2: Yeah, you know, uh, and again the lines are blurring because you know when we say health plan or what we used to call a payer, let's talk about the big one which is Optum You know, it's hard to call Optum a health plan. You know, I would say the same is true of CVS. Now, you really can't call it a health plan because like Optum, they have providers, lots of providers. You, You know, again, CVS just spent, what was it, $10 billion on Oak Street as a Medicare Advantage senior care provider. Optum has... I don't know, you know, somewhere between 70 to 90,000 providers is, is buying up ambulatory surgical centers everywhere and groups and specialty groups and primary care groups. And so, um, and they have PBMs and, and so it's hard to call them a, a health plan anymore. And I, I think that's really important. I don't, in fact, they don't call themselves a health plan anymore. They call themselves a healthcare organization. And so they are dead center focused on, just like the retailers, I mean, the language, if you look at the language, it's very, very, I mean, very intentional. They are health care organizations this idea i think of still labeling you know them as disruptors or as health plans i think it's still i think it's looking in the rearview mirror because they're going to deliver care and they're going to deliver it across the continuum and they're going to have all the capabilities that are provided and by the way again you know while hospital systems are still doubtful about value based care and i know there's a lot of not a lot of narrative right now that that's failed that you know while they're they're still talking that game and hugging the fee for service. These other healthcare organizations, these vertically integrated networks—whether it's you know the, the the retailers or the traditionally what we thought of as health plans or insurance carriers—they're diving into value based care like no one's business. They're they're gaining all the capabilities that you need, including. Including the digital technology and the analytics that you need to actually pull that off, and they're moving into the future. And you know, again, you know, while while, while these large hospital systems, you know, boast at you know ten thousand or twenty thousand or, or fifty thousand Medicare Advantage patients at the most, these systems have five to seven million Medicare Advantage patients. They're in a different ball game, and I just think this is going to be a year or two of inflection. And I just wonder if they're going to run away with with value based care while the you know the hospital systems are still wondering if it's the right thing to do.
1: Yeah, uh, similar to what Zev said, it it feels like what we think of as traditional health plans, but again, really aren't anymore. They're all sort of chasing the Optum dream, so not the American dream, but the <laughs> Optum dream, and they're really going to continue to acquire provider services like we just saw Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina do when they acquired FastMed. I won't reiterate the things that that Zev said, but I think another thing I would add is we'll see more food as medicine pilots from MA plans. Uh, SCAN has moved into the space with their healthy food cards and then Alignment Health just partnered with Instacart last month for their food as medicine offering. And I have to say, as a fan of health first and prevention, food as medicine is really having its moment and I'm, I'm not sad about it, but I do hope the amounts increase. So a lot of these plans that are dabbling in this are providing fifty dollars a quarter, or fifty to a hundred dollars a quarter. And $100 seems better than 50 but is it enough? Because I really do wonder if, if $50 a quarter is enough to to make a dent. But from a theory perspective, this really gets at the consumer's job to be done. You know, When I struggle with transportation and or having enough money to buy food, help me afford and access healthy food so I can prioritize my health. And it's exciting to see health plans either on their own or with other partners really make this investment in access to healthy food, what we know is a key driver of health.
2: Yeah. And, and Summers, I just want to to double down with you on that. The whole wellness movement, and you know, let's let's you know be a little imprecise, and I'll, I'll lump it with the social determinants of health and contextual factors. I am hopeful. I, I, I in fact, the last I've, I've now posted a bunch of podcast interviews focused on wellness. I, I you know, this week I'm going to put a video out. Last week I put a video out about it. I think it is an absolute necessity from an economic perspective because chronic disease and the cost of chronic disease is going to bury this country if we don't do something about it and the only way to do something about it is to move into wellness and lifestyle to focus on food and other aspects that will help us prevent chronic disease. So that would be my hope but it is it is the only economically viable thing that we have to do. And and again in order to do that, in order to make it part of a, of a viable business model, you have to move into some sort of capitated uh, payment model. Fee for service will not cut it. And so, you know, so I, I do think I wonder if, you know, again, surprisingly, if the retailers and the health plans are going to be so far ahead of hospital systems in terms of having a consistent business model that allows for food as medicine and allows for wellness and lifestyle and functional medicine to be part of it because in the end, it'll save them money and it will help them thrive and it's the right thing to do. So I don't know what you think about that, but in terms of a hopeful direction, I I think that's one of them.
1: Yeah, I think it's absolutely the right thing to do. And then we also need to think about the ecosystem that surrounds it, which is who's training the providers who can function in an ecosystem that prioritizes wellness because right now, Our physicians aren't even required to take a nutrition course to get their medical degree. So how are we integrating nutrition education into medical education? How are we integrating and involving registered dietitians into care teams? So we could could digress for a while on that one, but definitely move in that direction. And we need to think about what are the resources and processes we have to have in place. You mentioned the incentives, but the resources and processes we have to have in place in order to support a business model that focuses on that.
2: I love that you keep on bringing the business model into it and the viability. I would suggest to you that the technology is going to change that? Uh, you know, why do you need a doctor to talk to you about nutrition and exercise? A health coach would do, and there's a lot of them out there. And by the way, you could augment it with with digital technology because we know that that works. That you can change, help people change their behaviors with that. I, I think it's a lot more complicated, as you pointed out. There's there's other social determinants. Um, there's disparities. So it is a whole rabbit hole. We we probably don't have time to get into, but. I think in terms of hopefulness, I I am with you on this direction completely with you. Definitely.
1: And I, I think what you're talking about exists, right? In terms of those wellness offerings that exist for those who can pay for it. But what we need is a system that offers it to all because those who can pay for it are most frequently not those who need it most.
0: I agree. Yeah. Exactly. And I love that's that that's the place where we don't want to neglect that part of the conversation in any discussion that we have, whether it's predictions or, you know, or whatever or trends that we're seeing. So I'm glad you brought up food as medicine having a moment. I'm glad you brought up value based care, kind of the narrative around that. We were just speaking with Dr. Gordon Chen here on uh, a couple of episodes ago and he was talking about that narrative and, and it's it was it was fascinating, you know, just to hear what their stances on it? Because I think his his main point was, yeah, if you just dip your toe in, if you do try to do it within your fee for service world, well, of course, it's not going to work. You really have to actually do it. So I'm glad those are actually part of uh, part of the discussion here. You mentioned having a little bit of fun here, so, so I, I love this question, this next one, because it is absolutely, you know, there's there's no right or wrong here. It's just fun to think about. I want to see if you have something in mind here. Do you want to predict which big tech or big retail brands that we'll be talking about the most? Not necessarily what their moves will be, but who might we be talking about the most? And Summers, what, what do you think?
1: So I was thinking about this question when you sent sent your list of questions, and I thought, I think this focus on Walmart's going to continue because they just recently announced their partnership with Orlando Health. And that'll, that'll be intriguing to watch, but I mean, they probably won't really have any demonstrable outcomes in a year or so. But they'll do something else, whether it's the purchase of ChenMed or, or something else. And then yesterday, Amazon announces that they're going to add healthcare to Prime. And so everybody talks about that. And so I would say maybe Walmart, which tends to be like the slow and steady uh, tortoise in the race. But then whenever Amazon does anything everybody gets excited and talks about it. And I think sometimes the excitement is warranted and sometimes it's just noise. So I'll say for what it's worth and probably wrong, yeah. Walmart and Amazon.
2: Yeah, so, so mine are Amazon number one. I'll come back to that in a second. Walmart number two and CBS number three. And maybe CBS and Walmart would be, will be a close number two and three. But those are those are the ones. And again, just having fun. We're going to hear a lot about those three. I, I think there's a, there's a dark horse in the race, uh, Best Buy. They're starting to partner. You know, it was Atrium, and then it, it, Geisinger, and now Mass General Brigham in this whole home-based care ecosystem. I would watch them as a as a close, uh, well, as a fourth, let's say. But th- those are mine. A- Amazon, because look. It's size, it, it can make mistake after mistake and it, it still will not suffer and it's gonna to continue to learn. But here's here's the reason why. And and, and again, I think I think they're gonna get into wellness. I don't think that they actually they are partnering with providers, they're partnering with with the virtual care offerings, but I think they're gonna go direct to consumer. I think wellness is gonna be a lot of it, prevention is gonna be a lot of it, you know, chronic disease management. But here's the thing they're a platform. And that's what I think most people miss, is they're not the traditional business model. They know what they are. And they're a new business model, and they have been, and it's been unbelievably successful, and it will continue to be. And here's the thing. You know, while everyone else is talking about consumerist care and all that, and and they have, I heard this the other day, they have something like one million personas. They don't have like one persona they really really go after the customer after this sort of customization and segmentation and they really try try to customize you know their services so i just think they're going to they're going to really be a bigger, bigger player. I agree with Ann Summers. Walmart, they've moved slowly and carefully and cautiously, but they've got a lot of depth there in terms of their understanding. I think we're gonna hear a lot about Walmart. CBS for sure, they are bullish in in a just, I am a big admirer of their CEO. I think they're gonna do some great things. And again, I would say, Watch out for Best Buy Health. It's small, it's new to the game, but they're really creating some partnerships. I love
0: it, I love it. I want to make sure we leave a little bit of time here for this last question, because I'd love to hear what you both think. I'd love to hear what, what do we hope is the net result of these trends? Why does this all matter, right? when we even take a step back and not even just think about the industry but as a our as a society what can be the result here what do we hope it gets for us as people as a society and summers what do you think what where do you hope all of this gets us
1: yeah well we always overestimate the change that occurs in 2 years and underestimate that which occurs in 10 right so i'll probably overestimate what's going to happen in the next 12 months but i do hope that the food as medicine pilots and the enhanced focus on wellness and prevention that we've talked about over the episode, provide additional data on the power that food and lifestyle can play in reversing and preventing disease. We know it can, and I hope efforts like what we talked about from SCAN or Alignment Health or others really move the industry towards one that sees value in prioritizing healthy food as a key driver of health. Again, it'll take more than a year, but but that's my hope.
2: These are the Three things I think are most critical for healthcare. Not to be pessimistic, but if we don't nail these soon, I, we're going to be in trouble. One is affordability of healthcare. Healthcare is just absolutely unaffordable for the vast majority of Americans. Related to that is accessibility. And related to that is the disparities in care. And again, the disparities in care, despite all the talk on equity, are getting worse every single year. And people who are poor are dying sooner. They have much more chronic disease. You know, the burden is for them, their families, their communities, much much worse. This is getting worse, not better. Longevity is decreasing mostly because people who aren't wealthy are dying sooner. It is It is beyond healthcare. This is really tearing apart the, the social and economic fabric of our country. I hope, I mean, the biggest hope I have, I hope we have a new type of leadership, a leadership that understands that if we don't solve affordability and access and disparities in care, We are heading towards a calamity. And my hope is that we have a new emerging leadership that wakes up to that and actually does something about it.
0: Zev and Summers, it's been such a pleasure. You've given us so much to think about. Thanks so much for joining
2: us today. Thank you, Jared.
1: Thanks for having us, Jared. This is fun. Yeah,
0: thank you. Thanks again.